Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W., Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. And we're all being very dainty mm-hmm. and mindful and considerate, and this is Stuff You Should Know. That's right. And uh, another great article from Livia. She got right to the meat of the matter, so maybe we should too. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I had about six, seven minutes of discourse on my own personal experience <laughs> with manners, but okay. Hey, pepper those in. Um, I don't really have that. I know. Uh, so um, we are talking about manners, and essentially we should we should probably define it because manners are exactly what you think of, but mm-hmm. what you think can also slide into what really is considered etiquette, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But manners can vary quite dramatically from locality to locality. They can be mm-hmm. regional, national, cultural, household to household. Uh, they can differ within a neighborhood. Like, for example, um, some houses in a neighborhood will ask you to take off your shoes when you go in the house. Others are like, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be considered manners one way or the other, uh, especially the taking off of your shoes thing. So it's kind of like an expectation of polite behavior um, that is culturally bound typically. That's a, that's what manners are. And, and uh, a time uh, uh, era based. It can be, for sure. But some, Chuck, um, Livia cited almost out of the gate an Egyptian vizier who's a political advisor from uh, the pharaonic era. Um, His name was Tahotep, not to be confused with Babahotep, but (laughs) Tahotep. And he, um, in his resignation letter, essentially, his retirement letter to the pharaoh, um, gave all of this advice um, to young people in particular. But it was just basically life advice, but it was generally advice on manners. And it is, it holds up today, like 4,000 years later. Some of it does. One Mm -hmm. of the pieces of advice was to stay away from a battle of insults. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Yep. Uh, Avoid gossip. That's another good one. Yeah. Uh, One that's a little questionable is eat whatever a superior offers you. (laughs) Especially if they mash it in your mouth and say, eat it, stupid cow. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. But they can stand the test of time for sure. But sometimes they're very locked in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference between manners and etiquette, uh, even though you can, you know, you can use those interchangeably uh, generally, but People etiquette do. is a little more formalized, like set of rules. Uh, and you'll often see them like published in books. 
And a lot of times it's tied to uh, very ritualized, formalized stuff like, uh, you know, in the king's court mm-hmm. uh, and royal courts and at, at uh, fine uh, formal dining meals and stuff like that. So yeah. it's a little more formal. Yeah. Uh, manners, are another way to put it, manners are something that are ingrained from you by your culture from your early childhood on. Mm-hmm. Etiquette is something you kind of actually have to actively seek out to learn, like whether it's from a book or from a finishing school or something like that. Yeah. Or you have like a spinster aunt who doesn't have anything else to do, but browbeat you into keeping your elbows <laughs> off the table. Tammy. Uh, Tammy. Oh, man. Um, so one thing that you're going to see pop up a lot, uh, and we probably don't even have to mention all of these examples because uh, Livy is always so great at, at our cup always runneth over when she gives us stuff. Mm-hmm. But one repeated thing that you'll see is a lot of philosophers talk about this kind of stuff, and most of them agree, and most people agree, that manners aren't just, it's not just, hey, be polite to people. It's, this is sort of the, un, these are sort of the unwritten rules that keep us functioning as a, as a civilized society. Yeah. High and low. Like, some are really, really important, like prohibitions on violence, especially random, unexpected violence against other people. That's very bad. It falls under. Yeah, it does. It falls under the category of manners, uh, technically. And then also it can be um, much more evolved and just designed to make life more pleasant, like, say, opening doors for people, you know, man or Mm -hmm. woman, but the person following you holding the door for them. That's mannerful. It just makes it nicer than the shutting the door on somebody's face who's coming in behind you. Um, And that if you put all that together. Manners essentially hold civilization together. They're the glue that keeps civilization civilized. Yeah. There was uh, one modern-day philosopher that um, Livia found named Anya Berenger who uh, said it's sort of like a, um, it keeps you pro-social and keeps your attention focused on on making sure other people are doing fine. And, and an example that uh, Livia gave was like, you know, let's say you're throwing a, a dinner party at your house. And all, what you really want to do, though, halfway through that dinner party, maybe is go to bed because mm-hmm. you're just beat. Mm-hmm. But you don't because that would not be mannerly. So what you're doing is you're focusing on everyone else and making sure their drink is filled, that they had all they want to eat, and you're maybe clearing the dishes and doing all that stuff. So you're, you're focused, and it's all under the, the umbrella of good manners. But what you're really doing is um, focusing on pro-social behaviors. Right. And so some people, that now we enter like where some people are really critical of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like some people would argue, you're really tired. Go to bed. Why are you Why are you sacrificing your health conceivably just to keep some people you may or may not even particularly like right. satisfied? And, well, and they're at your dinner party. I mean, sure, you would hope, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> somebody always brings Tammy. I know Tammy. So um, there's a guy, a philosopher named Diogenes. He was one of the founders of the school of cynics way back in the day in ancient Greece. Um, I believe in the third century. Yeah, about 2,300 years ago. And Diogenes, he dedicated his life to pointing out the hypocrisy that manners generate in people. He saw manners as a a forced mask that people had Mm -hmm. to wear that hid their true selves from other people. And he wasn't saying you should go around and, like, hit other people if you want to. Like, he married the thing with morality. Like, you needed to be moral and upstanding, but you didn't need to be— you know, deferential to some superior um, because they're superior because society says they are. 
they're no more superior to you than you are to them. That was Diogenes' whole thing, and he hated manners, so much so that he engaged in some pretty shocking behavior in public (laughs) just to kind of prove his point. Yeah. Uh, As the stories go, he would uh, masturbate and urinate in public. And defecate. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. When you talk about, like, he really believed in, like, upstanding morals. (laughs) Sure. But his point was, if you're doing something in private with no problem, you should be able to do it in public. You're you're hiding your true self if you don't masturbate in public, essentially, was Diogenes' point. And as a result, people don't typically take up Diogenes' point. And in fact, he's very frequently uh, considered an exception to the rule. Like, the fact that he railed so hard against manners and just basically seemed like a weirdo to everybody else um, kind of shows the importance of manners in keeping civilized society together. Like, people are like, okay, yeah, I will kind of not respond to a jerk who's, you know, socially, my social better Mm -hmm. in exchange for not having to walk down the street and watch everybody masturbating in public. Right, right. Uh, Even the the great philosophers over time that have sort of had a problem with um, the really formal hoity-toity, um, courtly type of stuff and th- that kind of e- extravagance, most of them even still agreed that like a, a, a basic level of manners and politeness is important to hold society together. And mm-hmm. if it was, if we didn't have that stuff, society would just crumble um, where it can get really tricky. And we'll talk you know, about this here and there uh, is when you're, you get too into policing someone else's manners or when uh, you're using that as sort of a, um, uh, I guess, sort of a dog whistle to talk mm-hmm. about, like, the quote-unquote wrong kinds of people mm-hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. That can get uh, very squirmy and thorny. Right. Um, we also should say, and we'll get into it a little more later, it's, manners are culturally bound. Like, what's, what's good manners in one society is not necessarily easily translated to another society. Yeah, um, Livia used the example of the Joho Johonasi, Johoansi. That's what I'm going with. Johonasi people <laughs> of Namibia. Yeah. And they're hunter gatherers, and they um, have a tradition where the hunter who brings back meat uh, is often is typically criticized for right. the, there not being enough meat, for the yeah. meat being of like so so quality. Yeah. And they're stringy. They're doing that to like <laughs> knock him down a peg so he doesn't feel any more superior to anybody else. And you actually see this in, like, the British Isles. It's a real tradition, not necessarily of criticizing the meat a hunter brings back, but it could happen. And more just kind of like social uh, restrictions on getting too big for your britches, I think, is a way to put it. Yeah. And a lot of the the European style of etiquette is uh, historically, um, a lot of it is based around these mealtimes and very formal set mealtimes that you sit down all together and you eat this big meal. And a lot of cultures through history don't do that kind of thing. Native Americans didn't, uh, or, you know, many tribes didn't sit and have some big meal. Their jam was to like, hey, I got a stew on the pot at all hours of the day. Mm -hmm. So if you show up in my place, I might offer you some food you might want to eat if you're hungry. Then that's great. So we we don't have that kind of formal thing. So that's obviously going to cause some uh, friction and awkwardness when Europeans come over. Uh, and meet Native Americans and say, we're going to make our way your way. So I was reading about that, and apparently that social standard for manners for offering food 
and having like a perpetual pot of stew going that was that held up during lean times winter mm -hmm. like it didn't matter how little food you had you still were expected to have that pot of stew for for visitors yeah and i think if uh the tv show reservation dogs is accurate and mm -hmm. i believe it is to mm -hmm. modern day native american culture they on that show they were they eat a lot and they offer each other food a lot <laughs> yeah yeah and there's another thing about offering food is um there's a lot of cultures that expect you to decline um, being offered additional food. Mm -hmm. But there's that's part of a larger um, kind of dance where you um, the, the, the host continues to offer multiple mm -hmm. times. And then after a set amount of times, you can then and are actually expected to, to say, yes, that would be great. Thanks. I'll take I'll take some more. Yeah, that, that can be a big thing in the South. Uh, offering you food over and over, mm -hmm. or like uh, I've experienced that with Italian families in the Northeast, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sit down, keep eating. Right. And, you know, uh, I'm usually happy happy to oblige. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to be rude. Sure. Who would be? Uh, you want to take a break? Yeah, let's take an early break before we dive into uh, Europe. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for timed tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! <laughs> I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. i never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics, in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. 
We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right. So uh, as we say, manners and etiquette has um, changed here and there over the years. And as we'll see, a lot of times when there's a big um, sort of like a big war or big social change or Mm -hmm. a big change in power or something like that, a lot of times you'll see these etiquette rules changing. Uh, And uh, there's a book um, called The History of Manners, written in 1939 by Norbert Elias, uh, that said that, you know, medieval era uh, through the 19th century, there was a big change in that that's when people started to care a little bit how they were viewed by mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started to feel shame for doing things for the first time. Yeah. And they started to say things like, uh, you know, it's really gross to see you blow your nose at the table or to go like to get up from your meal and go urinate in the corner or something like that. (laughs) And like, we need, we should keep our bodily functions to ourselves. Yeah. So around the time of the Renaissance, the first guides to manners started to come out. Um, And that was a good example of social organization in upheaval. The Renaissance was. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that this would be one of the first guides to manners in Europe. It was called the civilitate morum puerilium, which means mm-hmm. civility of childish manners. Yeah. It was written by Erasmus, the famous Dutch philosopher, back in 1530. And um, he took some time out from translating the New Testament to write down manners, which basically was like, hey, don't stir uh, gravy with your fingers. Don't blow your nose on um, the tablecloth at the table. Actually, just don't blow your nose on any tablecloth anywhere in any part of the house. Yeah. And then if um, they shared spoons a lot, um, there would be communal soup. So you would um, taste the soup with the spoon, and he instructed, okay, after that, wipe it with a napkin after your use of that spoon before you put it back, which seems highly civilized for 1530. Can I cover this other one? Yes, please. It's a pretty great trick. It still holds up today. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have to fart at the table— mm-hmm. Uh, cover up the sound of the fart with a heavy cough. I can't cough that long. <laughs> well, and to me, those two things are sort of, I don't know if I can do those things at the same time because they both engage the same mechanisms for me. <laughs> right. I don't know. That'd be weird. I've never tried. Instead, you should just suck in a bunch of air and pucker your bottom hole. <laughs> that's that's my advice. Uh, Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try that at some point. Not at a dinner table. i I don't fart at the dinner table at all. Good for you, Chuck. You're really, uh, Erasmus would be proud. Uh, In the 18th century, in the royal courts, things got a little more sophisticated. Etiquette Mm -hmm. got a little more rigid. Um, They, uh, you know, the word etiquette actually came from this time period. Mm -hmm. Uh, Comes from France, obviously. And there are different stories that it came from uh, the word for ticket or label. Uh, Some people, you, you might find online that it came from signs, uh, keep off the grass signs that King Louis had at Versailles, mm-hmm. uh, even though Livia said she couldn't find a lot of really great uh, things to back that up. Uh, but Marie Antoinette apparently did have 
uh, a nickname for her uh, French aristocratic uh, retainer, um, Madame Etiquette, because yeah. she was always saying, like, you got to do this, you got to do this. Right. Um, they, they also did eventually start printing instructions for how to behave at court, and that really follows in the vein of a, a label or a ticket. Um, so that also kind of later on, I think after the fact, became etiquette, a name mm-hmm. for, for that. Um, it didn't make its way into English until I think the 1700s, the mid-1700s. And there was a uh, Earl of Chesterfield, the fourth to be exact. His name was Philip Dormer Stanhope. And um, he was very famous for um, a series of letters that he wrote to his illegitimate son. He was a minister in Holland for the um, English crown. And while there, he fathered a son, and he kept in touch and basically tried to explain to his son uh, how to behave in, in civilized society. And it ended up being, if you put all the letters together, a pretty funny, witty, but also very insightful um, treatise on, on manners at the time. Yeah, it was kind of long-distance fathering. Um, he talked about, uh, Libya was quite a few of these. These are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but long talkers, that's a pretty fun one. Uh, if one of these unmerciful talkers lays hold of you, hear him with patience and at least seeming attention if he is worth obliging. Yeah, or um, advice. Yeah, uh, don't carve meat too, too so much that you bespatter the company with the sauce or turn overturn the glasses <laughs> in your neighbor's pocket. So just don't, you know, just be cool when you're carving meat, I think is what he was saying. Yeah, that's pretty good. What else? Uh, this one I don't quite get. Although I think I do, maybe for the time period. Uh, in scandal, uh, as in robbery, the receiver is always thought as bad as the thief. So I get that. He's talking about gossip. So, like, the gossiper, you know, is no better than the person that they're gossiping about. No, no I think the person listening to the gossip, too. Well, everyone's bad then. Right. <laughs> but what I don't get is comparing it to uh, a robbery, like, like, uh, if you're was, the fence and you're getting the stolen items, you're no better than the thief who actually went in and stole the items. Oh, the receiver is the fence. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, Redfoot. Yeah, yeah. Um, another <laughs> one that I thought was pretty interesting was be not dark nor mysterious. And he was basically saying, like, be friendly to everybody, but be careful how much information you share. And that is a longstanding um, piece of advice for manners. It goes for back podcasters. to— Yeah, it goes back to um, Batahotep. Uh, who basically said, like, uh, when you're speaking to your equal, you can be better than them by being silent. Like, mm-hmm. really watch how much information you share with those people. And the, Philip um, Sanhope was widely criticized. I'm not sure if it was in his lifetime or not when his letters came out and were published um, for being a very cynical person, uh, but who was also, you know, shrewdly tuned in to mm-hmm. manners and, and how to act courtly. Um, but that really, it, it's he exposed it for its worst kind of use, which is um, social jockeying, mm-hmm. essentially. Trying, trying to get ahead by hijacking the prescribed set of manners or rituals or etiquette that, um, that anybody can engage in. And if you do it right and you're charming enough and you appear sincere on the surface, even the greatest psychopath around can become very wealthy and powerful thanks to etiquette, following etiquette and manners. Yeah, I mean, that's a little tricky, though, because a lot of people uh, have have labeled that very thing sort of the great uh, democratizer. Uh, 
uh, if you're someone who is of a, you know, at the time in whatever culture you're in, like in a uh, what's looked at as a lower class, and you can learn these etiquette rules and pass yourself off as the upper class, mm -hmm. then it levels the playing field. Totally. It does both. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's not, interesting. They're not mutually exclusive. It's yeah. just some of those people can have ill intentions or be insincere jerks. Um, other people are like, I really want to do better for myself. And I, there's not easy access to college. This is how to, how to get ahead in life. So I'm going to go learn this stuff and be earnest about it. Yeah. I mean, that's a common, um, I'm not going to call it a trope, but just sort of a common theme in a lot of movies mm -hmm. of, of someone sort of, uh, conning their way into the elite society, uh, whether it's, oh gosh, uh, secret of my know. success, <laughs> short Maybe. circuit too. Uh, six degrees of separation, or um, you know, I can't think of no grifters isn't having to do with that. <laughs> I've never seen it. Uh, oh wow, grifters is great. Um, but you know, I'm, I can't think of like an old sort of uh, uh, English movie version of that. But I know like oh, oh like tricking your way into court was a common theme. What about Barry Lyndon? Oh yeah, there you go. Thank you, thank All you, right. everybody. What a great one! Did you hear the applause? Yeah, in my head. <laughs> So in the in the United States, um, there uh, there the, the initial adoption of uh, manners and etiquette in particular was basically European exports imported yeah. to to the states from very early on, and it wasn't until the 1920s that um, well I shouldn't say that it it wasn't until the 1920s that um, that Americans were exposed to. The, the formal etiquette that had developed over the years on its own in, in America mm -hmm. um, through Emily Post. Now, it had been developing from, say, the mid-19th century on. It, got, it, it basically was attached to a rocket ship during the Second Industrial Revolution in the United States and the ensuing Gilded Age because there was suddenly a lot of very wealthy people who may or may not have had any wealth whatsoever before Mm -hmm. And so all of these, all this etiquette, these rules of etiquette started to develop and pass along. And Emily Post was raised in that world. And she, as a, I think a 40-something um, divorcee, sat down and, and put pen to paper and wrote what became the most successful etiquette book of all time. Yeah, uh, 1922, Etiquette in Society, not a colon, everybody. A comma. Yeah, etiquette I appreciate that. <laughs> etiquette in society, in business, in politics, and at home. Um, these days, that would still have a colon and some dumb long subtitle. It'd be nothing. It'd be instead of commas, it'd be colon, 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 colon everywhere. A.K.A. how to act right. Right. Um, but, you know, Emily Post is very famous for being sort of one of the first uh, Americans to put this forward. She talked about uh, belonging to the best society. And in her eyes, that meant, well, you know, you're born into it in Europe or you're born into it or earn it in the way of wealth in the U.S. But what I'm really trying to talk about is just um, how to belong in those worlds because you're polite and you have good behavior and a charm of manner. Uh, Vanity Fair, uh, Laura Jacobs from Vanity Fair uh, said it was one of the 20th century's great acts of democracy. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's this idea that um, here's the code, everybody. Um, it's it's for everyone to learn if they want to. Yeah, I was reading about her. I was reading that Vanity Fair article, and Emily Post was a heck of a person. She had a great sense of humor. She had a great sense of perspective of herself and the world and even the manners that she was talking about. Um, but she became divorced 
after it came to light that her husband had been running around on her. But before they divorced, um, she found out about this because he was being blackmailed. There was a blackmailing scheme uh, that blackmailed everybody in New York society. And they finally got around to Emily Post's husband. And um, he told her about it. And she said, don't do not do not just fall prey to these people, like call the cops, expose these people. And she did it at the risk of great personal scandal. Like she made, she was outed as having been cheated on by her husband, which really shouldn't have shocked anybody. Like all husbands cheated on their wives back then, especially in that level of society. But she put herself out there and allowed it to happen, to be publicly humiliated, I guess is what you call it, in order to prevent some scummy blackmailers from winning again. And she actually shut down the blackmailing ring with the help of the cops just by allowing this to happen. Was there an etiquette angle there or was that just more on Emily Post? It was. It, it just shows that she had such a sense of justice and what was right that she was willing to put herself out there in a really uncomfortable way to ensure that that justice was done, I think. Awesome. Yeah, she was a neat person. Uh, so Judith Martin is another uh, very famous uh, manner advice uh, person here in America, Miss Manners, a.k.a. Miss Manners. Uh, this advice column started in 1978. It's still around. And uh, Judith Martin is another person who says, you know, this is the, the glue that binds society and kind of holds us all together. Yep. Um, there was another term, that, which I really like, called the politics of respectability, mm-hmm. uh, coined by a historian named Evelyn Brooks Higginbotham. <laughs> and uh, she was talking about uh, black women in uh, the progressive era who were saying, you know, be polite, uh, be modest, and this is how we're going to help make change. Like, uh, And Livia points out, like, these uh, these awful pictures during the civil rights era of uh, black Americans, you know, dressed in their best Sunday suit, you know, getting fire hosed at a demonstration, you mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, some people have said, like, that's that was a good tactic. Like, it made a lot of sense at the time, and it probably did help quite a bit. But just if you step back and think about having to be civilized in the face of that just to get basic entrance to to constitutional rights is mm-hmm. pretty rotten if you stop and think about it like that. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of angles for sure. So um, I say we take our second ad break and then come back and talk about, get this, manners. <laughs> Let's do it. All right, game off. Let's pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. Because in Monopoly Go, you can team up with your friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. It's very nice. That's right. And the more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. I'm talking about unique stickers that you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes, cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with, or hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges, like digging for treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big, like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. That's right. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go. So get off the bench and go download it now for free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! (laughs) 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Chuck, so we were talking earlier about how um, manners and even etiquette are not um, easily translated across cultures sometimes. Some are. Mm-hmm. I was looking for universal manners, and I could not find them. The, I think the closest thing that I found that was essentially universal is, um, and I don't even think that's correct, but I'll, I'll say that it's very widespread, is the concept of superiors, equals, and inferiors within a society and how you interact with each one. Okay. That seems to be fairly universal, except in Scotland and among the Jul Huansi, <laughs> Jul Hunasi. Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of examples of this. Um, there's, uh, we talked about Edward T. Hall uh, in our parapersonal space episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1955, this is when he was doing some of his best work. And he talks about, and this is, of course, 1955, but uh, so it's kind of funny to look at some of these. But he talked about Americans uh, interacting with other countries. And uh, he was like, you know, uh, if you're from China, you might be, um, you might think someone raising their voice like always means that they're angry. So that if they see an American like really emphasizing a point by raising their voice, mm-hmm. they might be caught off guard and think they're angry. Right. Uh, whereas, and again, this is the 1950s in uh, Latin America. Um, if a business uh, person from America introduced themselves, uh, like, you know, from across the room and said, they're my, I'm Mr. Charles W. Chuck Bryant, they may think that's a little too formal. <laughs> but then on the other hand, they also might say, but these Americans, they'll just like kick back and uh, put their feet on their desk in the middle of a meeting. Mm-hmm. And you don't do that kind of thing at work. 
I can just see an American meeting somebody from like Brazil and introducing themselves as Mister. Right. And the person from Brazil just does their best like emo fips, like la di da. <laughs> Remember him? He was famous for that. Who? Emo Phipps. He had that weird like page boy haircut and he was Phillips. A, Emo Phillips? I thought it was Phipps. I thought it was Phillips. Am I wrong? No, I think you're I right. I might be wrong. Emo Phipps. It's one of those he, two. He, he's still around, I think, or yeah. did he just pass away? I don't think so, no. Oh, okay. I never I think didn't we talk about him recently? Yes. Within the last couple of years. I feel like years. we did. Okay. <laughs> no, he's still alive. Good for him. Is it Phillips or Phipps? It's Phillips. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, Emo. He's almost 70. What? I know. Wow. That page boy, that'll make you look young. <laughs> Chuck, I think we're getting old, too, is <laughs> one of the things. No. Uh, let's talk about punctuality for a minute. Yeah, that's huge. Because that's, uh, depending on where you are, can mean a lot of things. Um, I often laugh when I think back at uh, going to my dear friend uh, Seema's wedding. She married my good friend Chris, and um, they had, you know, big Indian wedding. And everyone was always late on her side to all the functions. And she just always laughed and was like, hey, the Indian's relationship to time is very loose. <laughs> and so everyone just get used to it because it's going to be happening all weekend long. Right. Uh, and they were all wonderful and they were always late. And it was uh, a lot a lot of fun and funny. So um, in Australia and New Zealand, punctuality is very, very important. Like even more important than in the United States, which it's pretty important here. I mean, there's usually about a five minute grace period to where the person is willing to not get upset, I think. And then depends on the thing. 15 minutes if it's something that you're paying somebody for, like, say, oh, sure. a hair appointment or whatever. If you're trying to move your part closer to the crown of your head, <laughs> you can be up to 15 minutes late without without them penalizing you. Right. But. For the most part, it's pretty important here. I get the impression in Australia and New Zealand, it's I saw it put as critical. Yeah. Uh, my deal with punctuality is I am a very punctual person. Mm -hmm. I get very stressed out if I'm running late, Same and here. I tr really try my best to not run late for anything. Uh, and I've, But I've gotten really good about trying to not let other people's lateness uh, upset me, um, like with friends and stuff. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because that's no good. Like, you don't want to be mad at a friend if you're waiting on them to go do something fun. True. And I don't mean like, yeah, we're going to go over and like play hacky sack in the park. Like, you know, a concert or something that has a time uh, that you're now sort of running late for. Uh, I would get upset. So I've what I've learned to do is not just not get upset because I, I can't control my emotions like that. Sure. Uh, but I have, um, there's certain people in my life that are always late and I just started Telling them 30 minutes early. Smart. That's all you got to, that's the, I'm not even going to call it a hack. That's just smart living. No, it's just manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> but smart manipulation, and I think justified too. Those yeah, people are, are begging for it. We're both punctual. Definitely. And I get very stressed out too, especially I've really had to kind of get more laid back about making it to the airport because Yumi's like, let's just get there two minutes before they close the door so we don't we, we don't have to spend much time on the airplane. And I'm like, in theory, I love that, but that's not, no, I can't. So I used to be yeah. like, a like let's leave maybe more than two hours before our flight to get to the <laughs> yeah. airport. And uh -huh. now I'm like, okay, I can conceivably leave like maybe 80 minutes, 90 minutes before, something like that. Maybe an hour, depending on how like loosey-goosey I'm feeling. I like to be early for flights just 
because I can I just don't want to be stressed out at all. So I like to be pretty early. Okay. So fair you enough. Know? Punctuality, very important. Another one is eye contact. That's mm-hmm. another universal one, but it's not necessarily the same around the world. And in fact, it's quite the opposite from place to place. In America, the United States, you want to hold some sort of eye contact. There's a certain amount and you have to, this, this takes a lot of practice. You can very easily creep <laughs> in, in, into like crazy looking territory or creepy yeah. <laughs> if you overdo it. But if you yeah. underdo it, you seem untrustworthy and shady. I know. So you have to do just the uh, right amount of of eye contact, and you can look mm-hmm. away, and then you look back again, uh, depending on how long the conversation is. Apparently, in the UK, you just don't really make much eye contact at all during a conversation. Yeah, what I found works for me is uh, to try and not think about it, because once that happens, I'm done. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Like in conversation with someone I don't know, I try to be like, yeah, just have a normal conversation. Right. You kind of look at someone's face in general, mm-hmm. look them in the eye some, touch their look cheek. away a little bit, touch their cheek here and there if they say it's okay. Uh, but uh, once it gets into my head, if it's an, a nervy situation, mm-hmm. and I'm like, am I making enough eye contact? And am I making too much? Then I'm just done for. Totally, especially if you're like, three, two, one, right. look away, <laughs> seven, eight, <laughs> look back. And they're like, why are you counting? Um, there's, uh, there may be, a at least a short stuff into eye contact Definitely. because there's a lot more to just, uh, besides, you know, uh, being rude or not being rude, like the, the science of eye contact and what it means and the, the brain signals that, uh, are being received and stuff like that. So, yeah, I don't know. There may be something there. They say the eyes are the window to the face. Uh, quickly on, on punctuality. Did I ever tell you my Shaquille O'Neal, uh, photo shoot story? I probably have. Mm. Yes, but let's hear it again because it's been a while. Well, and I don't know if this is the angle that I even mentioned uh, last time, but uh, I was a PA on a job. It was a still photo shoot uh, for with Shaquille O'Neal on a beach in L.A., mm-hmm. and he was supposed to get there at um, he was supposed to get there at like three, so we could shoot him out at sunset uh-huh. on the beautiful beach at five. Mm-hmm. And Shaq showed up at like noon and said, "I'm leaving at two. <laughs> Because I got to go get my daughter from school. And if, if you've never worked in film shoots and TV and movie shoots and stuff, like you don't, like the schedules are very, almost military-like mm-hmm. and how rigid they are. Uh, and you don't just say, by the way, I'm going to completely change the time frame here. Mm-hmm. But you can if you're Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, and if you look closely, there is not a single general insurance commercial that was shot around <laughs> Sunset. Here's the thing, though. I don't want to... He wasn't rude about it. He was very nice. He wanted to get his daughter from school, mm-hmm. and everyone uh, shifted their day, and it worked out great. And we had a good time. Yeah, you got to be careful, Chuck, because he lives here in Atlanta. You might bump into him at like a Papa yeah, John's. Please remember me. Like I was that PA. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so there's some other uh, questions about manners. Like it's really fun, actually. We found a um, a great article on TripAdvisor, written. Um, <laughs> Clearly by somebody who's not uh, American-born or U.S.-born, um, but who has a pretty good idea of what goes on here. So it's really neat to see us here in America viewed externally and like our mm-hmm. mannerisms, our habits, that kind of stuff, explained to somebody who's coming to the United States. So if you yeah. go into TripAdvisor and you go into United States travel articles, look for polite manners. And it is exhaustive and extensive and very insightful, actually. But um, 
it's it's pretty interesting to just kind of see us through that lens, you know? Oh, totally. Uh, you sent this to me. It was a lot of fun to look through. And we were kind of trading uh, on text like the, the ones we thought were funny. And we both agreed uh, under general decorum mm-hmm. uh, this passage. Curse words should be avoided around children at all times. Some teens will curse in the streets, however. Try not to confront them about it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a lot of people who kind of argue that manners are dead. Uh, And you can make an argument that, yes, traditional manners are dead. Like knowing what fork is used for what course of the meal is very vanishingly understood these days. Or keeping your elbows off the table, which apparently was initiated to um, prevent other people from taking your, um, like, the the posture you have, which allows you to lunge across the table at somebody as hostile. That's what I've seen, that it prevented people back when they were much bigger lunkheads in general from Mm -hmm. fighting one another. You just kept your elbows off the table, and it's much less aggressive if Mm. if you try them both. The whole idea of not putting your elbows on the table is an inherited piece of etiquette that, frankly, is outdated. That's my take on it. If you don't put your elbows on the table because you have manners, that's fine, too. But the right. point is there are there are customs and manners and, and etiquette that we've gone through. They're just kind of – they made their point at the time. They were useful, and now they're not so useful anymore. That doesn't mean that manners and etiquette in general have gone away, just that they've evolved and now we have all sorts of new manners and etiquette that are thrilling um, for people alive in the 21st century. I'm thrilled by them, at least. Uh, another big one is smoking. Um, I looked up the most recent stat I could find. And here in the United States, about 11% of people still smoke. Uh, and it, it's, I think, considered very rude these days mm-hmm. to just light up a cigarette, uh, even if you're outside sometimes, yeah. like really close to a bunch of people. I find it rude even if you're nowhere near a bunch of people because those right. that smoke <laughs> carries so well. It does. Um, that, that yes, you. to me, I think we've reached the point where you're allowed to smoke in your own house in your own car. But it didn't use, I mean, we are, we're all part of this era, you and I, where not even so long ago, it was fine to smoke anywhere in front of anyone. I smoked on an airplane once. Right. Like, it was, it was, you know, that was definitely within my lifetime. I bet there were some French beret guys smoking sure, there, Sure, we were holding that smoking section down. And smoking section was the last three rows. There was nothing, no barrier, anything like that. So, you're just smoking up the back of the plane. It was such a dumb idea. Yeah. I was, I was curious, because I, I wondered how the rest of the world was doing with smoking. Mm-hmm. And so I looked up uh, countries who smoke the most. Yeah. And I can't remember uh, which one was number one, but it was um, it was like almost 50% of the people there still smoked. Uh, it, well, this is a different one I'm looking at now. It says uh, China, but... Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. It's um, number one, uh, N-A-U-R-U, Nauru. Where is that? I'm not sure. Uh, and Kiribati are both at 52%. Wow. Um, there's only 12,000 people that live in <laughs> Nauru. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to have to look up where that is. But that is, uh, you know, I don't know if there used to be 24,000 people and half of them <laughs> right. passed from lung cancer or what. Yeah, but, yeah. that's a great question. Um, one of the other things about the evolution of um, uh, etiquette and manners is just the snapshot that it provides 
the time we live in today. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get a really good picture of that. The Cut um, ran an article. I think it's like 140 rules of etiquette. And a lot of them make a lot of sense. A lot of them like really kind of tap into the culture that we live in now. Like my favorite one was after 72 hours, you have amnesty from mentioning how long it took you to respond to a text. <laughs> so after that, you can just respond to the text like you're responding to it, like no time has passed. In, before oh, okay. 72 hours, you have to say, sorry, this took me so long. And it's true. It totally makes sense. And I find it very mannerly that that, that just, I mean, it just makes sense to me. Um, but the so whole you, thing's like that. So if you don't answer a text after, let's say you wait a whole week, yes. you don't have to say, oh, man, I'm sorry, this thing got buried. No, you do not. And as a matter of fact, I, I've, I've kind of in, intuitively picked that up because I've got one brewing with my friend Matt that uh-huh. is easily a late? week and a half old. Yeah. And I've just learned not to call it out because it makes it way worse. Mm-hmm. They're well aware that it's been a week and a half and it seems insincere to be like, oh, sorry, it took me a week and a half to get back to you. It's this is when I had time to like give this thought, this attention and I'm getting mm-hmm. back to you now. Um, I, I, it just makes sense to me as a as a um, delayed texter. What else? You got anything else in there? There were there were so many. No, I mean there's there's stuff all over about tipping, about um, work culture, oh, yeah. um, just you know, going out to bars, um, dating, ghosting people. Um, right. Like it's okay to ghost somebody. Uh, if you've only been on one date and you didn't follow up with a lot of texting or emails or any calls, you can just ghost them and feel fine about it. But um, if you did kind of like, you know, make it seem like you're a little more interested and then ghost them, that's kind of mean. And then mm-hmm. never, they said, never ghost somebody and then come back like later on in life and ask them for a favor of any kind. Like once you ghost somebody, that's it. You're done. Interesting. You know, I will say that, like, I'm not Mr. Uh, Mr. Manners, mm-hmm. but I do believe in being polite and, like, you know, open the door for people and stuff like that. But I think that, like, uh, I think poor manners, like, if I was on the dating scene or something, I think poor manners can be a real red flag as just the overall sort of kind of person someone is. Right. And I think that's what Emily Post was helping people do, was helping sincere people she said the three principles of etiquette are consideration, respect, and honesty. Yeah. And so yeah. she was saying, if you are those three things, if you're considerate, respectful, and honest, here's what you need to do to, to present that in the best possible light to people, to let people see how, how great you are. This, mm-hmm. is, this is just some easy rules for you to follow um, that, that, you know, so that you don't seem like a bore when you're out on a date because – you're not a boor. You're a, a considerate, respectful, honest person who deserves love. Yeah. And you're also making other people feel comfortable and at ease. And that's, those are things we should strive to do. Agreed, Chuck. <laughs> uh, well, since I agreed with Chuck and he chuckled a little bit because of something that he and I and Jerry know about, uh, that means it's time for listener mail. All right. I'm going to call this one, boy, it's so old, I don't even remember what to call it. Uh, this okay. has been in the, in the old folder for a while. All right. Uh, hey, guys, long time, first time, as callers used to say on Larry King. Uh, just got done listening to the episode on international debt forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not that old. Yeah. And as promised, it was very interesting and totally day-ruining. Uh, I wanted to mention something y'all understandably had to sort of yada yada on the episode for concision. 
And that is the fact that the rest of Europe simply allowed Leopold II, monarch of a neutral country, to set up his own personal colony in Africa. Mm -hmm. uh, while this is true on its face, Sebastian Major's excellent three-part story on the free state of Congo, uh, our fake history episodes 80, 81, and 82, mm -hmm. uh, elucidates how that came to be. Uh, while he, of course, goes on to recount the atrocities committed in the Belgian Congo in horrifying detail, the first two episodes are the really interesting part where he describes the most stunning and cynical whitewashing propaganda kind of campaign that painted Leopold II as the paragon of late 19th century abolitionist moral rectitude, yeah. culminating in the formation of a charity called the International African Association, which all created a veneer of beneficent uh, stewardship that allowed unchecked exploitation of the land and people. That's quite a sentence. <laughs> that was one sentence? Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Wow, fantastic. And all of this is sounding like really familiar. I was like, yeah, I ran across all this in my research and I just realized now that this is from reading this email before. <laughs> That's why it sounds familiar. Uh, it's basically like if um, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation turned out to be a front for harvesting uh, adrenochrome from children. <laughs> nice ref. Uh, the story will put you in a fetal position for hours, though Sebastian Major's charming Canadian accent makes it somewhat more tolerable. Thanks, guys. Always great to listen to the show. And that is from John. Thanks, John. Fantastic email. Thanks for pointing that out. And yes, we had to yada yada that. Um, and also, in addition to Sebastian Majors, probably mentioned it at the time, but Behind the Bastards did, I think, a couple parts on, on King Leopold, too. Great show from our very own network. Well, if you want to get in touch with us with more info like John did, we love that kind of thing. You can wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to StuffPodcast at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 